Hi, my name is Gary Weber, and I'm the pastor at Southside Baptist Church, and I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I know many of you listen on a regular basis, or maybe some of you are just joining us for the first time as churches move to online, but we want to give all of you an opportunity to support the ministry here at Southside Baptist Church, whether that's in our physical campus or right here through the virtual campus in the ministry of the podcast and the online services. You can contribute by going to ssbc.org and clicking the Give tab. There you can make a one-time gift or a recurring gift, and anything you can do would be greatly appreciated. Hey, we hope you're doing well. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's message. Now, if you're here today for the first time, we are wrapping up a three-part series uh, on money. And this isn't maybe what you think about money when you think about a preacher talking about money. This is something else. So this series is called Money Talks. And the reason we named it that is because it does talk. We all know that. You don't have to follow Jesus. You don't have to read the Bible to know that money talks. But often when we say that, we mean that it buys influence. It buys power. It buys the things we want. It talks about our socioeconomic status. Um, That is all true. But something that we don't usually think about when we say that money talks is the fact that money talks about you. Your money is talking about you. My money is talking about me. Our church's money is talking about our church. Everywhere it goes, your money is talking about you. Now, the question is, do you know what your money is saying about you? Because that's the thing. See, if there was somebody out there who was like trying to ruin your reputation, maybe they're, maybe they're putting bad reviews on your business or whatever they're doing, you'd like, I want to know about that. I want to know what people see and know about me. Well, the truth is your money is talking about you. And unless you know what your money is saying about you, then there are a lot of people who know a lot more about you than you will admit about yourself. There are people who know about your generosity. They know what you value. They know where you find joy, all because your money is talking about you all the time. So we started out a couple weeks ago, and if you missed any of these messages, you can go to our website, ssbc.org. You can look at the podcast or the uh, YouTube. You You can find these messages. But a couple weeks ago... We said that your money is talking about the condition of your heart. Your money's talking about the condition of your heart. This came from Jesus, real Matthew 6, 21, where he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every time you send out a little piece of your money, your heart goes with it. This is why if you've ever invested in the stock market, you suddenly care about that place where you put your money, right? You check it. You didn't look before, but now you're very interested in that company. Why? Because you just sent a little piece of your heart. With, when you sent your money there. Your money is talking about the condition of your heart. Here's the truth that we need to know. Wealth is not a number. It's a condition of the heart. This is why you have met people who were penniless, and you looked at them, and they're like, man, they are so rich. I mean, how, how does that happen? They're generous. They're kind. They're, there is something about this person. They have no money, but they are incredibly, incredibly wealthy. And this is also why you've met other people. Come on, you've met them. I've met them too. They've got tons of money, and you're like, they are, they're not nice people. They're, they're, they're greedy. They live, they live as if you know, the, the whole world is, gonna, is, is under their control, their thumb. I mean, they, they just live so incredibly greedy that you look at them and you think they're poor, but they got all this money. See, the truth of the matter is, it is wealth is not a, a number in your bank account. Wealth is a condition of your heart, and your money is telling people about the condition of your heart. Then last week we said your money talks about where you've placed your faith. What do you really trust? You don't have to, you don't have to say it with your mouth or a, a theological uh, you know, assertion. If you just look at somebody's bank statement, you will get an idea of what do, they, what do they in fact trust. So we said last week a couple things that we need to do to make our money tell a better story is to avoid arrogance and misplaced hope. To avoid arrogance and misplaced hope. What do we mean by that? Well, arrogance, because a lot of times we think that we produce the wealth that we have. 
This, you know, we think that some, I've worked hard, I've, I've worked to get an education, you know, I've, I've really tried to, I've been, a good, I've been a good money manager, so what I have, I, I've produced it. But the truth is, you had no control over where you were born. You had no control over who your parents were. You had no control over so many opportunities that came your way. The truth is, God is the one who gives everything to us. Whatever we have, he's given us. I mean, there are people who were born in third world countries who are smarter than you. There are people who are born in places where there's no running water, you know, they don't have the, the, the advantage of the internet or, or they don't have the advantage of electricity on a consistent basis. They, they, they work harder than you work. They're smarter than you are. They're kinder than you are. They manage their few resources better than you and they are poorer than you are. See, the truth is you, you think you have so much control, but you really don't. Arrogance. You've got to avoid arrogance, thinking that it's all about you and what you've done. And the second thing you've got to avoid is placing your hope in your material possessions. Some of you have lived long enough to go through some economic downturns, and you know that your money came like this, and it went like this, right? I mean, it just disappeared. It was like, it's gone. Circumstances happen beyond your control all the time. And if you're placing your hope in your money, then every time your bank account rises and every time your bank account falls, your security is tied to money. So, so we, don't wanna, we don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to uh, misplace our hope. Instead, we want to pursue faith in God. Because if my faith is in God, then I don't, my security is in God, then I can be generous no matter what my bank account does. I'm not worried because I know God's got me. I know everything I have comes from God, and I know that he is encouraging, he is allowing me to steward what he has given me. So place your faith in God, good deeds, and generosity. See, see, here's the truth. Placing faith in God frees us to do good and live generously. But as long as you are placing faith in wealth, you will be cautious and you will not live generously because you are tied to the bank account. But if you place your faith in God, then it frees you to live generously. So today I want to wrap the series up, and I want you to know that your money talks about your contentment. Your money is telling everybody about a certain level of contentment or discontentment in your life. Now, all of this comes from a very small passage in the book of 1 Timothy. If you have a Bible, you can open there, or open it on an app. We'll put it on the screen as well. 1 Timothy is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. And he is giving him instructions about how to pastor a church, how to lead the church. And there's some really good advice, but there's one segment of his congregation that Paul is saying, hey, I want you to pay special attention to this crowd. Give them a certain message. And it was to rich people, but it wasn't, the message wasn't you, what you think. Like, make sure you're in good with the rich people so that you can get their money. That's not what the message was. The message was you need to warn the rich people because they, they face certain temptations that other people don't. And here's what Paul said to, again, this is an ancient letter that was written that's been uh, preserved and kept in our Bible. Here's what he said. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. So now that's a message to us. And we want to think, the first thing we think is, well, that's not me. Because if you saw my bank account, then I, you would know I'm not rich. But remember, we're not measuring our wealth based on 2021 United States of America. We're measuring our wealth from God's perspective. And God's perspective, you know, there are more people on the planet than, than live right here in the United States of America. God's perspective is global. And so when globally, the majority of the population lives on less than $2 a day, unless your lifestyle requires less than $2 a day, I got news for you, ready? You're rich. You are among the richest people on the planet. You think, no, 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 I don't have that much money. You, I'm telling you from a global perspective, you are in this crowd. This is who Paul is telling Timothy to talk to. Command those who are rich. 
not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Now listen to this, because we're going to come back to it. This is where we're going to focus today. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Put your hope in God. And sometimes we have this idea about God, especially when people who do what I do start talking about money, right? That God is some sort of cosmic killjoy. He doesn't want you to have fun. He doesn't want you to buy anything. He wants you to feel guilty about stuff that you have. He, he wants you to live like in sackcloth and ashes. And, you know, and, and, and he doesn't want you to, he just doesn't want, like if you have anything in your life that brings you joy, that must be evil. That must be bad. That's not what he's saying here. Look what he's saying here. He is saying, God, who richly provides, in other words, everything you have comes from him. Remember that. Everything you have comes from him. He gives us everything for our, what's that last word? Enjoyment. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be joyful. He, just like a good parent wants his or her child to be happy, to, that, that the parent delights in the child's happiness. That's how God feels about you and about me. So, so, so he wants, so Paul wants Timothy to tell his rich people this truth. But listen to this. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. See, it does you no good to feel guilty about how rich you are. This whole series has not been about making you feel guilty. It's been about making you want to ask this question. Why? Why have I been given what I've been given? Why have I been blessed? Why has God blessed me the way he's blessed me? What is it that, what is it that God sees in me that he would entrust me with so much? And what is it that God wants me to do with what he's given me? Can demand them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is really life. Now listen to me, because I think this is such an important message for us. I know it's important for me. This is actually something that we pulled back, if you're with us in our marriage series that we finished up. We said almost the same thing when it comes to marriage, but this is so true. The root of discontentment. We're going to look at the root of discontentment because I am so convinced that, that the root of discontentment in your financial life is the same as the root of discontentment in your marriage, in your job, and in everything else. We're going to look at the root. We're going to look at the consequence of, of when you are discontent about the wrong things. And we're going to look at the antidote for discontentment. So I'm going to look at these three things. If you're a note taker, there's a place on the back of the worship guide for you to fill in or online. You can find it at SSBC. Dot org slash tools. But let's take first a first look at the root of discontentment. And the root of discontentment is unfulfilled expectations. This is true in your marriage, it's true in your parenting, it's true in your job, and it's true when it comes to your money. Here, let me give you an example about this. At some point in your life, you thought you had found the perfect job. Maybe, maybe not everybody. Maybe some, some of you still live under the illusion that you're going to find the perfect job. It's okay. You can keep living. We've all lived there before. But what happens? You think you find it, you find it, and then it's not what you expected. You're disappointed in the boss. You're disappointed in the pay. You, they, they, you're disappointed in the work. It wasn't what they told you it would be. So you have these expectations, but your expectations somehow outpace reality, and then you're disappointed. Or it's about your spouse. Like you thought, oh man, this guy's great. This woman is awesome. It's going to be so great. Like they're going to fulfill all my fantasies, all my dreams, all my desires. And then you get married and you live with them a little bit and you're like, oh. <laughs> except me, except me. <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's, it's, what is it? It's these sort of, it's these unfulfilled expectations and then it outpaces reality. It, it's true about your kids. Like you thought, you watched other, come on, you did this. You saw other people with kids in restaurants, like my, my kids won't be like that. And then you had some. 
and your kids were worse, right? I mean, I, I mean, I mean, the truth is we have these expectations, and our unfulfilled expectations l- creates discontent in our life. It's true in every aspect of our world. This is why no one thinks they're rich, okay? This is why none of you think you're rich, because you arrive at a dollar amount that, that you thought would be enough money only to discover that your expectations have moved past that dollar amount. Every time you achieve a certain financial goal, your expectations just grow further on behind it. And then you're dissatisfied with what you thought would be the perfect amount of money. You used to tell yourself, if I made that much money, man, I'd be so generous. And then you started making that amount of money, and your expectations grew past that amount of money, and you're still not generous, right? So this is the problem with expectations. Expectation is the enemy of gratitude. You can't even be thankful for the things that you have because your expectations keep you wanting more. I can never be truly grateful for things I expect. The implication for this goes beyond your money. It's about your marriage. It's about your work. It's about your community. Expectation is always the enemy of gratitude. And here's the problem. The more I feed my expectations, the more discontent I become. The more I allow my expectations to rise, then somehow when when I'm faced with that thing that I I was expecting, I'm like, that's it? Like that's all there is? Because I am constantly allowing my expectations to outpace the reality. Discontentment increases our appetite to consume. This goes back. Now track with me here, okay? Track with me because this is going to be a little bit of a theological stretch for some of you to think about. And I know it's early. But listen to me. This goes all the way back to the very beginning of the whole problem with humanity. You can find it in Genesis chapter 3. God created Adam and Eve, this beautiful garden, all the animals, all the things. And he said, hey, I'm giving you all of this. I'm giving you everything for your enjoyment. There it comes, right? What Paul said to Timothy. I'm giving you all this for your enjoyment. Everything is yours, except don't eat the fruit off this one tree. And what did the enemy come along and say to Adam and Eve? God's holding out on you. You think he loves you because he's given you all this? He hadn't given you everything. Like there's still something you don't have. This is the root. This is the root of the very first sin, and it's the root of all the discontentment in our life. We are constantly pursuing the forbidden fruit. Always. Always. It drives us. It drives you financially. It drives you relationally. It drives you in everything you do. You want to find that thing that you don't have yet, and it drives you on. The world knows this. In fact, there's an entire multi-billion dollar industry built around this fatal flaw in humanity. It's called the advertising agency, agencies, right? I mean, what do they do? They, they somehow try to create a level of discontent. They create a level of discontent about your car because it doesn't have the newest things. It's not bright and shiny. It doesn't smell like a new car anymore. They, they create discontent. The, the iPhone was created in 2007, and we're already up to iPhone 13. Why? What keeps you buying a new phone? Because you, there's something you don't have, right? I mean, the, the, they want you to know. that Hold that old phone. What? It's only got one lens on it? Dude, that's so 2007, right? I mean, they want you to buy more and more and more. It's about clothes. Why do you think the fashion... Come on, listen to me. I know I'm going to make some of the ladies really mad right now, but listen to me. There are people in the world who sit around and decide what's going to go out of fashion so that you feel pressure to go buy new clothes. Right? Really? <laughs> I mean, there are people who, who they, they, embed, they embed obsolescence into a product so that after a certain amount of time, it's no longer useful. It's no longer good. It's out of style. The color's wrong. Why? Because they want to keep you buying something. They're feeding off of your expectations. 
They want you dissatisfied. And here's the problem. An appetite to consume will lead you to debt. Some of you know this because you're living in financial debt. This is why in January we're offering Financial Peace University. If you haven't done it before and that describes you, I would encourage you to be a part of Financial Peace University. But your growing appetite leads you to spend more, to chase more, and then you find yourself in debt, and then you're in bondage. And you're still richer than 95% of the people on the planet, and you're in bondage to your money. Your money is telling a story about you, and it's telling the story that you're a slave. But it's not just about financial bondage. It's not just about financial debt. It's about relational debt. Because nothing is ever good enough becomes no one is ever good enough. I mean, it gets deep in our hearts and it grows out. Your money is telling this story about you. So that's the root of discontentment. Now let's look at the consequence of, of misplacing our discontentment. Here's what, here's what it is. Contentment. Now this is, stick with me here. Contentment with what makes God discontent results in discontentment in everything else in life. See, there is, there is a way to leverage discontentment for something good. And is, that is by being discontent, by being unhappy with the things that God is unhappy with. By being discontent about the same things God is discontent about. But as long as I am content about the things that God is discontent with, then I will never, I will never be fully content with everything I have in my life. I'll just keep chasing more and more and more. The key to contentment is to decide to exchange one kind of discontentment for another. We must pursue a holy discontentment. Let me talk to you about a holy discontentment. A holy discontentment is a discontentment that says, what what breaks the heart of God? And then asking yourself, does that break my heart? Do the things that break God's heart break your heart? Do the things that break God's heart break our church's heart? Because it's not, it's not enough just to say, hey, we're going to just, we're just going to be discontent and pursue more and more and more and more. Instead, we should say, if God gave us everything for our enjoyment and he commands us to be generous with it, then I have to be, I have to be knowledgeable. I have to be aware of the things that God is unhappy with. This is the kind of discontentment that drives us to God, not away from him. It's the kind of discontentment that helps, that makes us want to know his will and his purpose, not just for our lives, but for the wealth he's entrusted to us. C.S. Lewis famously said that if you have a longing for something that this world cannot seem to satisfy, it's likely because you were not made for this world. But let me tell you what happens. We still pursue the longing that nothing in this world can satisfy. So we just get more and more and more and more and more of it. This is the very heart of addiction itself, right? Like one drink isn't good enough anymore, and then two's not enough. I mean, it takes more and more and more and more, and it drives you. Same thing financially. See, there are acceptable addictions, and there are unacceptable addictions. An acceptable addiction is materialism. We're all fine with materialism in America, but it's no less an addiction than alcohol or anything else. And what is that? What is that? Well, it's because you are seeking something that nothing in this world was ever meant to fully and finally satisfy. You're seeking it in sex. You're seeking it in money. You're seeking it in relationships. You're seeking it, you're seeking it in power and responsibility and authority in your job. You're seeking it everywhere. And this world was never designed to fill that. It's only God. So we have to ask ourselves, what hell, how can we stop medicating our need for God by seeking material wealth? How can we, how can we turn our discontentment towards something better? And here's the answer. You stop feeding your appetites and instead align your desires with the heart of God. 
The antidote for discontentment is to shift your attention from what you want to what others need. It is to shift your attention from what you want to what other people's need, needs. It's realizing that the population of the world is more than just me. It's expanding our sight to see the world, not from a 2021 socioeconomically rich, wealthy United States of America. It's to see it from a global, it's to see it from God's perspective. I don't have to try to see my wants because the truth is society is always willing to remind me of the newer, the bigger, the brighter, the flasher, the better, the faster. But I must work to keep the needs of others in front of me because I turn my eye to them so quickly. I just shift my eyes away. Jesus told a story about that one time. There was a guy who had been beaten and left for dead by the side of the road. A preacher walked by, crossed the other side of the road, didn't want to see it. Then the worship leader walked by, crossed the other side of the road, didn't want to see it. And then a vile, hated Samaritan came by and helped him because he was willing to see, to see and understand what breaks the heart of God and to know that I have to stop pursuing what I want for the sake of other people's needs. I must become discontent about the things that make God discontent. And I double-dog dare you to start praying this prayer every day. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Would you just break my heart for what breaks your heart? Would you help me to turn my attention away from all those new, bright, flashy, shiny things that I think I want that just keep pulling me forward further and further away from generosity? And would you just break my heart for what breaks yours? Hungry children. That breaks the heart of God. People without access to clean drinking water breaks the heart of God. Girls who are forced into human trafficking, at-risk kids in need of guidance, lonely, neglected senior adults, people caught in the prison of addiction, refugees in needs of a friend. They, they, these are not some far-away problem. These are problems that exist right here in the shadow of our steeple church. Is our heart broken for the things that break God's heart? They're, these are not someone else's problems in some other place. These are problems that exist in your own communities, in your neighborhoods. Unless you have done what so many have done, just said, I just don't want to see it. I want to shut it out of my life. I don't want to be aware of it. There are things about which the people, these are things about which the people of Southside are committed to not becoming content with that while we're discontent about our own wealth. I can be happy with the fact that there are people caught in the trap of human trafficking. People, girls and, and children who are abducted and, and, and who are enslaved. I can be content about that. Just make sure that I've got enough channels on my cable subscription or on my new streaming service, right? Come on. I mean, we get so frustrated with things that interrupt our convenience and our comfort and yet could care less about those who are hurting all around us. And it's not just true about me and you as individuals, and it's not just true about our families, it's true about churches that become so greedy with the wealth that God has blessed them with, and they think it's all about their comfort and doing more and more and more for their own circle of people while they build a fortress to block out the view of the world around them. Southside, we cannot be that church. I will not be a pastor of that kind of church. We have to be a church that is discontent with the things that makes God discontent. And in doing so, we will find a deeper, deeper level of joy and contentment than we've ever known before.
It's true for churches, it's true for families, and it's true for you. I, I, I was, about two years ago, was introduced to somebody. Her name is Shanique Fisher, and Shanique has a son named Dimitri. And Shanique was, um, was born in the Bahamas. That's where she lived and worked and raised her family. And Shanique was pregnant with her, um, with her baby, and she found out through the doctors there in the Bahamas that the baby had a very serious medical condition and that if she didn't, um, if she didn't go to the right hospital, that the baby would be born um, and would, would not survive, would probably not survive delivery on, on the island. So Shanique went through all the proper channels, and she did all the right things legally to be able to come to the United States. In fact, she came to Jacksonville because Nemours Children's Clinic, Wolfson Children's Hospital, one of the greatest medical children's medical clinics in the world right here in our city, right here within the shadow of our steeple, had what needed to be done for this child. So she came, um, she left her husband and her other children behind, and she came and she gave birth here alone. And uh, the baby was born and was immediately in intensive care, surgeries immediately. Uh, Shanique uh, worked three jobs. She found three jobs to work in order to support herself while she had to live here to be close to the baby. She lived in the uh, Ronald McDonald house for a while, but there, that could only last so long. And uh, as the child grew, the doctor, um, the doctor said that, listen, he is going to Dimitri is going to continue to need intensive medical care um, for a while, for the foreseeable future, and it's just not available in on the Bahamas. In the Bahamas, so you you know you really need to make arrangements to come. So meanwhile, while she's going through this situation, her husband back in the Bahamas has a heart attack and dies. So what was already a very complicated situation just got harder. So she's caring for this new child. She's working two and three jobs while the baby is in the hospital. And then she gets notified um, by the, by the uh, Homeland Security that her visa will not be renewed. And that she has no alternatives. She, her, it's expired. She's going to have to leave the country. So she is faced with this ungodly, and I don't use that term lightly, an ungodly decision to say, I will either surrender my child to the state and leave the country so that my child can stay here and get the medical care he needs to live, or I will take my child with me and go back to the Bahamas where my child is certain to die. This is the choice she was faced. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't care what side of the political aisle you sit on, and I, that's not right. There is no scenario in which that is right that is the kind of thing that breaks the heart of God. Well, the same doctor that saved Dimitri's life is the same doctor that saved our youngest daughter's life a few years ago. And he reached out to me and he said, Gary, he was taking a position in another state. He said, we've been trying to help this family because of this situation. Is there anything you can do? So we, you, I mean you, through your generosity here at the church, um, we helped to pay her rent. We continued to help pay her utilities for a while. We were working hard to just to make sure. And, and she couldn't work. It wasn't that she wasn't willing to work. She just couldn't work legally. And she's so terrified that she will be, she'll be kicked out of the country if she's caught doing anything illegal. So she, she can't work. She doesn't want to risk it. So meanwhile, this situation's going on. So we're supporting. And then some of you remember last year, we did a series about the little things, how to help in the little things. And out of that, 
Um, Kirk Scoville and several of the folks in our church started a, a campaign called the 3112, which basically tried to get people to give $30 a month for 12 months. Um, and if, if, if each one does that, you can make a tremendous difference in somebody's life. So for the first year they did it, they sponsored a woman who is uh, part of her song. She was rescued from human trafficking, and she's rebuilding her life. And so they were able to support her financially, allowed her to quit one of her jobs, get a, go, go back to school. I mean, it's a remarkable story. And so uh, Kirk and that group decided they would help support Dimitri and Shanique this year. And um, they've been doing that. Um, but what do you do in a situation like that? Unless you are aware of the need and unless your heart is broken for the things that break God's heart, you know what, suddenly, suddenly doesn't an iPhone 13 look like an extravagant waste of money? I mean, I'm not trying to make, listen, please, I'm not making you feel guilty if you have an iPhone 13. I'm fine with that. God gives you everything for your enjoyment. That's fine. But my question is this. Why has God given you what he's given you? Is it just so that you can be more comfortable and pursue more wants? Or is it so that you can be generous? Generous towards God in situations like this. Some of you know that we've got this making change jar, and uh, we've made this commitment that uh, for some of us in the church, we're not going to spend any change, whether that's coins or maybe you say, I'm not going to spend anything less than a $5 bill, whatever it is. And every Sunday, we're just putting the money in that because we want this money to tell a, a gospel story to somebody at the end of the year. Some of you have downloaded apps and you're rounding up your change and putting it in a savings account. And you're going to give it that way. All kinds of creative ways to do it. But, but here's the thing. Your money is talking and it's not, here's, here's what concerns me. If you call yourself a Christian, okay, you say I'm a Jesus follower and I'm going to assume that's most of you in the room. It's most of you watching. Some of you may not call yourself that, but for those of us who are Jesus followers, your money's not only talking about you, it's talking about Jesus. Our money as a church is talking about Jesus. Does our money say that situations like Shanique and Demetrius is okay? Because that's not the God I want to follow. I don't want to follow a God who's okay with that kind of injustice. I, I want us to be aware what God is doing and to be enjoined into him in that way. This guy who wrote this letter to Timothy, Paul, is a great example. He famously gave up all. He had wealth and privilege. He was born in the right family. He gave it all up to pursue God's desire. And here's what he said in another letter that he wrote to another group. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, listen to this level of contentment, because this is the kind of contentment you and I want. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do Philippians 4.13. A lot of you know it. A lot of you maybe used it when you were playing sports. This is not about winning a college football game. I mean, come on. I'm not against that, especially if it's a team I like. I can do all things through Christ. But what is it saying here? It's saying that in Christ, you can be content in every circumstance, in wealth, in poverty, in health, in sickness. You can be content in Christ, through Christ who gives you strength. This is the secret to Paul's contentment. It was not based on his possessions and circumstances. Here's my question to you. Is yours? Is yours? I want to encourage you as we wrap this series up to, to just give yourself, this, give yourself the time to, to, to process this. A couple weeks I said, track your spending for a couple weeks and ask yourself, what is my money saying about my heart? Last week, I told you to ask yourself this question. Why have I been given so much? 
and to just determine a percentage of your income that you can give away as an antidote to discontentment, to greed, to selfishness. What is that percentage? Half a percent? One percent? Two percent? And I'm not even saying give it here at the church. Maybe you've got issues with giving money to churches. Find a cause you believe in. Find a family like Shanique and Dimitri. Do something and be generous with a percentage of your income. And do you do it to the point that it actually impacts your lifestyle? Starve some of your appetites in order to feed people who are hungry. What do you need to give up in order to find true contentment in Christ? Replace your appetites with the needs of other people. This Christmas, we're going to do the Advent conspiracy trees. Some of you saw them. Because I don't know about you, but, you know, there's, I mean, I just, Christmas is kind of, since Amazon's ruined Christmas, really. I mean, it's made it convenient for shopping, but the truth is, most of us just buy what we want, right? You just see it, and you buy, you buy things you don't even want, and you don't even know why you bought it. But at Christmas time, can we turn a season of generosity into helping to meet the needs of others by saying, hey, we're going to just ask for the items on these Christmas trees. <laughs> that people, instead of giving me a gift, give me the, send this money to the Advent Conspiracy in order to help these people who are in need. We're collecting diapers for one more child, one of our ministry partners. There's a crib out by the elevators. Bring diapers for the next couple weeks so that we can give these diapers to, to families who are fostering kids, to mothers who are in need. Practice prioritized, percentaged, progressive giving. Your money is talking about you, and your money is talking about Jesus. And listen, church, our money is talking about all that too. Our, our money is a church. That's why tonight at Salt, 530, I hope you've signed up, but even if you haven't signed up, you can skip the meal and just come. We are going to have our uh, um, uh, quarterly celebration where we're going to just celebrate some of the things God's done. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to look at our 2022 operating budget you think, oh man, I'm out already. Like, <laughs> me too, right? I, I commiserate with those of you who feel that way about numbers and budgets. But let me tell you why it's important. Because it says something, our, that money is saying something about our church and we need to all care what our money is saying about our church. You're going to receive a copy of that. If you're a member, you're going to receive a copy of that in the email along with an opportunity for you to fill out a 2022 uh, giving projection card. Let me tell you about that card because there have been people who've asked it's not a kind of commitment. We're not holding you to it. We're not tracking that in any way. You know, we serve everybody. It doesn't matter what you give. If you give nothing, if you give everything, it doesn't matter. That's not why we do it. We do it because it's a tool for you. It's a tool that hopefully forces you to look at what God has blessed you with and ask yourself, why has he given me this? And to be intentional about saying, what is my money saying about me? What is it saying about my family? What is it saying about our church? And more importantly, if you are someone who follows Jesus, what is your money saying about Jesus? I encourage you to make your money tell a better story. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the hope that we have in this message, Lord. It's one that can make us feel uncomfortable Lord, for some, maybe it just makes us feel guilty. And Lord, I know that's not from you. That's not our purpose. Uh, but, but Lord, it, it does speak to the opportunity that you have given us. Open our eyes to what you see in the world. Open our ears to hear the cries of the hurting. Open our hearts. Tear away the calluses that have caused us for too long to be insensitive to the needs all around us. 
I pray that for me. I pray that for each individual, for each family, and I pray that for this church. God, help us, help our generosity to be a reflection of your generosity, that you who so love the world that you would give everything, you would give your son who would leave all the wealth and power of heaven to come to earth as a servant. Lord, that's the story we want to tell. That's the story we want our money to tell. So Father, convict us, not for the purpose of shame and guilt, but for the purpose of action, that we might live in such a way that our money tells a better story about the gospel. And for those who are here today, God, who are chasing their discontentment, and more and more and more, whether that's through addiction, whether that's through Uh, money and possessions. Lord, whatever it's through, Father, would you just help them to be freed of that through the power of Jesus? That in Jesus, Father, is the only place we can find ultimate and final contentment. And I pray for those who are here today who haven't found that, that they would turn their eyes towards him. Open up our eyes and expand our worlds past ourselves, God. May our hearts be broken for what breaks yours. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Like what you just heard? Take a moment and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search SSBC Jacks. If you live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you on Wednesdays or Sundays. You can find out about our service times, next-gen programming, and more at ssbc.org.